It's our starting pitcher episode, part one. And who better to talk pitchers than the founder of PitcherList himself, Nick Pollock. We'll talk strategy, undervalued players, pitch level value, what to do with injury concerns, and much more. Part one of our Beat the Shift Pitching Bonanza, coming up next. And welcome to another episode of the Beat the Shift Podcast. I am your host, Ariel Cohen. And with me, as always, is Ruvain Guy. How are you, Ruvain? I'm doing great. How are you doing today? I'm doing splendid. Ooh, long day for me. Bunch of meetings at work. You ever have those days, Ruvain, where just meeting after meeting and uh, just you want to get out of there? Not really. I see patient after patient, not meeting after meeting, but... It's almost, it's getting there. We're already a week into February, which means spring training is right around the corner. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, you got a different dynamic there with the medical stuff where uh, it's just another patient, another patient. Uh, my, my, my wife also is a medical person. She does that too. I don't know. So so different. I'm, I'm off. Uh, give me a computer and let me crunch some numbers, you know? Well, I got to do that too. I got to crunch all those sharks after I see the patients, which takes more time than actually seeing the patient, which is nuts. Well, hopefully we won't talk too much about the injured pitchers, or maybe we will tonight. We're going to do pitchers tonight, uh, starting pitcher episode part one. There's so many pitchers, we split up into two. And, of course, we have to have back the king of starting pitching here, king of pitcher, pitcher list, Nick Pollock. Welcome back to the show, Nick. How are you? What is happening? I always love that intro music you guys yes. do. It's so lovely. I feel like I'm transported back to the early 90s. And I'm uh, watching Full House again. And don't ever call me the king of pitchers ever again, please. Thank you. You got it, dude. <laughs> <laughs> nice. nice, Nicely tied there. But, uh, yeah, um, I, 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 a couple of people have asked me. The, the theme music of our show is actually uh, from a record of my brother's saxophone teacher. The uh, really? album is called, yes, Oneness World. And oh, uh, all, the, all the music from the show is from that album. So there you go. Incredible. What's going on with you at uh, at Pitcher List? Well, what's new? Oh boy, so much, so <laughs> much. I just put out my top 400 starting pitchers article, which of course crashed everyone's phones because I decided to have a video so you could see what everyone looks like inside of it. And obviously, that was a terrible idea when you have like I don't know, 150 videos trying to go off at the same time. I uh, so I just sorted all of that out. You can read it much easier now. And I. It's been a week of making sure that that's good, but we have all these fun things coming out with um, uh, PLX. That is our new custom stats of mistake rate and strike minus ICR rates. Our, uh, our new player pages have IVB and, and uh, IHB and VAA and all the fun stuff that you want to know. Um, new live draft assistant tool um, with market values because Ariel Cohen is awesome and taught me the ways of auction drafts. And I insisted that this year we have market values built in to a live draft assistant tool. So you can use what I use in my drafts this year uh, for PL Pro people. But, yeah, there's just so much stuff. And, you know, just happy to uh, to relax with you guys now. Nick, you're in my labor draft, so can you turn off that feature during our draft? <laughs> oh, I can't wait to sit next to you again during that. That was such a joy. Oh, we're going to do that? Uh, you're going to sit next to me? Of course. All right, all right. Um, I also hope I can uh, – we got to talk because I want to get you a keyboard to bring to Florida in time. Oh, my out. God. You remember that. <laughs> I remember yours. You you have the full size, right? 
I have the uh, yes, the full size keyboard, and uh, it was wireless, and for some reason it wasn't working. So I, I oh, of course, emergently brought a, 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 a wired keyboard, and I quickly yeah. put it in, and that did the trick. Of course, yeah. I mean, the good news about a lot of wireless ones is that, that you can just use a USB C cable, and it'll attach wired. Right. But uh, you wanted blue and orange keycaps, and I cannot find them. So I'll try. I'll, I'll keep looking for you. The uh, Mets out of stock here. Yeah, the Mets are out of stock, yes. They're always out of stock every year since 86. <laughs> All right, well, let's get to some serious stuff here. Um, PLV, um, you know, you've de debuted it, uh, coming back for another year. Um, can you tell me, well, actually tell the audience here, what is PLV, um, why does it work, and who are a few players that are maybe highlighted that PLV really brings forth? Yeah. PLV, uh, you can think of it kind of like uh, Enosaurus's Pitching Plus model, not the Stuff Plus one. It's uh, it's trying to accomplish a different goal. Um, when it comes to a pitch modeling, you can look at a player as a whole, saying like this is a good quality slider or a bad quality slider. But for us, what's really exciting is to be able to look at the singular event of a one pitch and then be able to say, well, this was a good one. And this event should be looked at differently because this guy hit a home run off of a really good pitch or he hit one off of a really bad pitch or he swung at a pitch that he shouldn't have swung at or he should have swung at uh, this one that was in the zone, right? So what PLV allows us to do is really a seed that gives a grade to every pitch and then we can create these really cool stats because we understand the context of every single pitch better than ever. Uh, it's really fun. And uh, what I just said before of like new PLV stats, we have one called mistake rate that we just released this week, which says, okay, by PLV, we can actually see which pitches inside the zone have double the chance of allowing a hit, which is obviously bad if you're a pitcher. So Blake Snell actually had the lowest percentage of pitches in the zone last year that were mistakes with a double chance of getting a hit. So much so at 3% that the next person, the number two, was Yuri Perez around 4.5%. That's number two. So that's, uh, what, half of a standard deviation or something like that? I can't remember. Uh, I don't. I can't remember standard deviations. This is so embarrassing in front of Ariel. Um, but that's uh, it's such a massive jump from first to second, and it kind of explains how that worked having a 30% walk rate, right? So there's a lot of really fun things you can do with PLV. We're adding more and more stats to the whole suite of it, but uh, that's the crux of what PLV is. Yeah, and I've always remarked that when you take things down to the pitch level, um, you gain sample size really quickly, and you can learn yes. a lot about a pitcher, right? I, I would say that you could probably learn everything about a pitcher in about two, three starts. Is that about right? I actually put—I say the three-start rule. Uh, first is a, is a uh, exception, second is a su suggestion, and third is confirmation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I, I once worked on a stat called WPDI, which also is uh, oh, yeah. on the pitch level, right? So uh, CSW is also a pitch level stat as well, right? Oh, no, CSW yeah, would yeah, be... Yeah. Yes, Absolutely it is. is. No, that's it's right. two of the six of uh, WPDI. That's right, that's right, that's right. So, yeah, so... You. Exactly. Yeah, yeah you, know, you know the WPDI. There you go. I do. <laughs> um, Want to talk about pitch value. So, um, you know, we, we can talk exactly about what it is, but... I want to get from you the context of sort of 
why it's important for us to to look at. And, you know, for a guy like me who I deal mostly with statistics. Now, obviously, we don't just look at high-level statistics like one loss, ERA. You know, we're smarter than that. We look more at components, strikeout rate, K-BB, all that. But then there's also pitch value is the value by pitch. Obviously, there's a velocity by pitch. There's also a change. Question is, what do we gain? Like, uh, do we gain that much by spending the time to really drill down to specific values? Like, what what do we have to gain by really doing these deep dives on a pitch level? Uh, That's for a pitch? really, really good question. And I do want to make a distinction. There is something called pitch value. Uh, it's a, uh, I believe it's a baseball info solutions stat that essentially says, hey, when this pitch is thrown, what was the outcome? So it was a home run. Up, oh, must have been a bad pitch. So we're going to give a negative value to that. Okay, this was another pitch. It was a swing strike with the bases loaded. Thus, it's really good, and it changes the run value, so thus we're going to assign it that way. It only looks at the result of it, uh, which always bothered me because you could throw the same exact pitch twice and get different results. Thus, it's going to be graded differently, and that just is wrong. Because, like, no, if you want to actually grade the pitch itself, it doesn't matter what the outcome was, right? So right. uh, so that's why it's pitch level value. That's why it's PLV, the distinction there. But I, I know that's not really what you're talking about, but I'm, I'm sure people have seen that before, and that might be confusing. Uh, so what is the value, though, of understanding these, these metrics and like understanding you know, the value of a pitch, right? And for me, I have this very weird, I think, uh, different way of analyzing pitchers than others, which is understanding the concoction that pitchers create when they have different pitches. That is, okay, if I have a slider that's like this and a curveball like this with a four-seamer like this, does that create a full arsenal that can have certain success? And it's really important to know, okay, if I could choose one elite pitch to have in my arsenal, it's a four-seamer. That's Instantly, like, the best pitchers in baseball are the ones that have elite four-seamers. Strider and Wheeler and Cole. And you look at Corden Burns and it's a cutter, but that kind of is in place of it because you can throw that over 50% of the time. Uh, I have a thing called the Wasker Rule, which is based on Wasker Enoa from 2022 having this really good season, but then (laughs) breaking his hand by punching a, a bench. And I believed in it thinking, okay, he has this elite slider and this fastball is at 96, 97. He should be really great. Then I realized next year that uh, in, that was in 2021, 2022. It wasn't very good. And it's because his slider was the only elite pitch. And actually that fastball 96, 97 actually didn't have good pitch shape stuff. And I can talk about that another way. But if you look at PLV of it, and honestly stuff plus of it, it's not really going to like it outside of the velocity. And thus it wasn't a good pitch. So if you only have an elite slider and nothing else, you actually aren't going to be consistent and good, and that's the Wasker rule. Um, it's got, a lot of guys break that all the time, and I'm just out on them. <laughs> uh, so I don't like that. So I, I guess what I'm getting at is if you have one elite pitch, it only really matters if it's your four-seamer. And in general, it's better to have a wider arsenal of very good pitches that say, cool, I can get through lineups on both sides of the plate effectively than it is to just say, cool, I'll take one elite curveball or one elite secondary and then not have anything that is above for the rest of my arsenal. Yeah, that's actually what I was going to ask you. Is it better to have one elite pitch or two to three pitches that are, you know, second tier, that that type of thing? Because I think from this you can actually learn if a pitcher is pitching better than what you're seeing in the field and the numbers, is he having bad luck? Or can you put a positive spin or a negative spin on the way the pitcher is pitching? Yeah, it's a... So it's a lot of different ways that I've been looking at this. Uh, an easy one, I think, 
is to say, okay, cool. Do you have a fastball that you can throw for strikes and get whiffs? Um, do you have a secondary pitch that you can throw for strikes and get whiffs? And then do you have another secondary pitch that is good for the opposite hand, right? Um, if your fastball is a sinker, then you have to have something for the opposite-handed batter uh, that's not a sinker, so normally a four-seamer or a cutter that's able to get strikes. Or you can be Kyle Hendricks and be decent at getting it on the front hip when you're younger, but now it's terrible, so whatever. Um, or you can have just an elite changeup. You throw like 50% of the time, and that gets you by like Logan Webb does to, to lefties. Um, but the, the guess what I'm getting at is like, let's say you have a sweeper as your best pitch and you have a, uh, I don't know, you're a sinker sweeper guy. The problem is that sweepers are worse against opposite handedness. So I'm a righty to a lefty than say a gyro slider, which is one that goes down. So you got to figure out if I see a guy that just has those things, I'm like, well, you're going to be really bad against lefties. And that is going to cap your ceiling in my view. Because until you find some really good changeup or you find a four-seamer or a cutter or just something else that, that traditionally does well, in all likelihood, that isn't going to change. And that's part of the value that is added with this stuff is like really when you get down to it, like what do you throw and what can you actually do with this stuff? And when I see pitchers that have weapons for both sides of the plate, they have fastballs that establish lots of strikes and generally they command well and do, do all those little things it creates the floor that we see in consistency. So really at the end of the day, like you shouldn't just be ignoring all the results and you shouldn't just be like looking at the PLV labels and calling it a day. You should be saying, okay, does this make sense based on what they throw? And if it does, then everything's lovely and we're dancing in the meadow. But otherwise, if it doesn't, then we've got a conflict and we got to kind of figure out, is this just luck that he's getting by on this? Or maybe there's some attributes of these that I'm missing that is why he's getting these results. So I want to ask you about pitch mix because yeah. you know one very big blind spot of projections is that it assumes the same constant pitch mix, right? When, yeah. If you're evaluating oh how a pitcher did, right? If you're evaluating how a pitcher did over the last three years, well, it doesn't know that, wait a minute, maybe you've changed your pitch mix yep. late in the last year, and now you're much more successful, so actually your skill level has changed. It thinks you're the same pitcher or at least, you know, Two two thirds of the same pitcher. If you're looking at you know um, just you know the history, the question is, um, how can we identify the pitch mix changes? Or maybe what's the best source? Should what should we be watching? Who should we be listening to? And how do you think that really changes their value? Do you, if 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 you, how, how do you discern it? Like if you see yeah. a pitcher is now changing his his uh, his mix and he's had three excellent starts, is that enough to say, wait a minute? Well, because he he's gone on with sliders and it's now ten percent increase and he's dropped his whip. Well, that's now it. Like how do you discern that it's actually good? And where can everybody else listen and and find out about these kinds of changes, which which are not in projections? That's a blind spot, you know? Yeah, I. I'm not going to tell you because I'd be out of a job. Uh, I'm just kidding. Uh, what you should be doing is uh, following my SP Roundup through the year. That's how I do it. I do this every night. I watch, or I, I try to watch as many as I can, but I'm writing this article every night about all 30 starting pitchers, and I'm seeing uh, I'm seeing their changes of usage and uh, where they're locating it and everything. And I write about it in the SP Roundup, and I do uh, a review of that the next morning in my Plus Pitch podcast. And also on our player pages, you can actually see pitch mix changes, as well as if you go into every single game, you'll see the up and down arrows of usage. Now, one 
area I want to really emphasize is I'm trying to be better at, which I haven't been so good at in the past, is understanding that you're going to see some pitch mix changes through the year just based on the kind of lineups they face. That is, if they're facing a lot of lefties that day, Carlos Carrasco is going to be throwing changeups, not sliders. If he's facing a lot of righties, he's going to be throwing sliders, not changeups. And sometimes his changeup is way better than a slider, but I'm going to see a higher slider usage game because he just faced more right-handers. And it can be really um, difficult at times to figure out, uh, is this like an actual shift um, until you actually look at it versus lefty or versus righty, which you can also do on our player pages. By the way, I think the last uh, the last uh, game that we went to, the last Met game, Carrasco was on the mound. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah, he was, and I think I was yelling about the changeup. And stuff. Against Alex Wood? <laughs> right, you I were. remember screaming at the field, but what are you doing? <laughs> um, but I... <laughs> I, I have a distinct memory of that, and that was that was a ton of fun. We have to do that again, Ariel. Yeah. Well, I actually, I actually want to interject. What do you you talking about? All these about pitch, you know, about pitch mix. What if a pitcher mm-hmm. says that they learned a new pitch in the off season? What knowledge would you gain from that? Well, you know, what's your initial reaction to that? You know. Sure. So, um, so furthermore, to kind of what I've been getting at, and part of my whole weirdness of of pitch analysis or pitcher analysis is really crafting like a general blueprint of the of the player and saying okay this is what they're good at generally um this is what their weakness is based on what they have and what's effective and what isn't and i normally to cure this weakness this kind of thing would be introduced right so a good example i'll I'll give you is like i remember when tyler glasnow was only a four seamer and a curve guy and there's this lot of hoopla I think it was back in like 2020 or something, that he was learning a splitter. And uh, there's a lot of fake news out there about splitters in Tyler Glasnow, or sorry, in me, saying I hate splitters. Not true. I only hate splitters if they're a number two pitch because it's the most volatile one and you're just not going to get strikes that you need with a number two pitch. But as a number three pitch, I'm generally all on board because that's just a great offering to throw in two straight counts and they have a really low expected batting averages in play. However... What Glasnow needed was a strike pitch. His curveball was not a strike pitch. That meant that he had to throw his four-seamer too often inside the zone and batters were hitting it. And need something to throw for strikes. And a splitter is not that. It is a whiff pitch to throw in like two strike counts when you're ahead. So it didn't work. And guess what? Glasnow is so much better now because he has a slider he can throw for strikes. And that's what he needed. And so that's really what I emphasize is saying, okay, if someone's adding something, Look at what they currently have and where their weaknesses were. Where, what is the element that, they're, that they need to grow? Is it more strikes? Is it more whiffs? Is it something against lefties? Is it something against righties? Is it a, for, a fastball that actually is effective and, uh, and, and you're able to throw it as a, as a primary offering? And that's the first conversation. So then when I hear a new pitch is being added, I'm like, well, is that the solution? Is it? Oh, if it is, that'd be really cool. And like, then I get excited about it. Very rarely do I actually circle and say like, well, now I believe in this guy. Uh, because I mean, I don't know if like, you remember the pitch tracker from like Jeff Zimmerman, but he would have like 150 of those and only like three of them stuck around or something stupid. Uh, so, so I don't really lean into that, but in season, just to go back to the previous question, I never answered best example is Nick Pavetta from last year. He added this whirly bird sweeper in the middle of August and he had a phenomenal final two months. And I'm very much in because he's saying, yeah, I finally have this breaking ball that I've been looking for for ages. And I've been saying this for about Nick Pavetta for years. 
He has a four-seamer that should do really well upstairs. He just has no consistency with his secondaries. And now he has one. And he has a cutter he throws for strikes. This is so cool. And I believe that. That's what projections will overlook, is that they will see like the last couple of years. While I'll say, like, no, this guy has finally become the man that he's supposed to be. And I understand that. And I, I'm like, that's something that should stick for next year as opposed to just some random two months of like, yeah, I guess this pitch was a little better than it used to be. So those are the instances I, I lean on. Oh, really great stuff. Uh, another question for you before we go on to the player pool is do you look at organizations and say, mm. well, you know, the Dodgers, they know what they're doing with pitching, so I'm going to trust that, or the Rays know what they're doing, or the, the Guardians know what they're doing. Do do you have, take stock into the organization when you're thinking about whether a pitcher is going to be successful? You know, it's really funny. There's I I traditionally don't because I, I generally have so many variables I'm looking at with guys, and it's like that just seems – to wish casty almost but i've learned a lesson because of zach eflin like i was really down on zach eflin and everyone's like no it's a better team context and they are going to tweak him a good amount and he's gonna be better i was like nah well, give me kent on maeda <laughs> <laughs> and i was completely wrong i actually remember actually in florida where i'm gonna see you next uh or in three weeks ariel talking yeah. to gray albright and like it was his i think it was pick and uh, either Raslam or TGFBI, and I convinced him to take Maeda, and uh, he wanted to do F1. <laughs> so I'm going to give Albright <laughs> complete credit for that one. I was like, no! Um, but uh, And there's literally only one player, I think, this year that I'm saying, okay, because they are joining this team, I'm in. And that's Ryan Pepio. Because looking at Ryan Pepio, one of the things that I um, really learned this offseason a ton, outside of just like lefty-righty splits, I'm really focusing on that for pitchers is understanding four seamer shape and really saying, okay, there's three, three aspects that matter. It's extension. It is vert. That is IVB vertical movement, vert and adjusted VAA. And I know that's such a mouthful adjusted VAA. And it's such an intimidating topic. It's very simple. It's just saying based on uh, where you release the ball, like is it a high release point or a low release point? Um, and that is like based on where your extension is too. So really like down the mound release point, would this work upstairs essentially or downstairs? Uh, is this steeper of an angle downstairs? So it's like coming from as if it's dropped from a building or is it uh, upstairs where it's flat, like at the top of a table? That's what you want in those two case cases. So if it's downstairs, you want super steep, flat if it's upstairs. And Ryan Pepio actually has a four seamer that, profiles out to perform better upstairs than it is downstairs however the dodgers as an organization do not like high four seamers it actually shocked me like bobby miller doesn't do it enough walker bueller didn't do it enough pepio doesn't do it enough and now you go to the rays who are like the team who told tyler glasnow to go upstairs with four seamers i'm saying oh boy i think ryan pepio is going to throw more four seamers and have a much better uh season with that fastball in 2024 now so this is like the rare case where I'm really doing that. And there's also the other aspect of like moving away from a really bad development organization. And there are like five of those to me, like the Royals, the Rockies, the Nationals, uh, the Pirates. And I used to throw the Rangers in there. I don't quite know if I still agree with that one. Um, oh, and of course the Angels, especially after they got rid of their two coaches that actually helped things and they got rid of both of those. So. Yeah, I don't trust those organizations at all. If someone's leaving there, I might give them an extra point or two. 
Pepio, very interesting. Uh, he had a .76 whip last year, which is pretty good, but his luck metrics were through the roof. 189 BABIP, 99% strand rate. I mean, if you have a 70, if you have a 78% strand rate, you're lucky. So 99. <laughs> yeah. What's what's funny with all this stuff for me is that you're absolutely right. I mean, that will contort how we think about a lot of this stuff. Um, it also is something that should just get shown to me inside of the pitch results, right? Uh, and when it comes to uh, to Pepio, it's just yeah, he okay, he did get really fortunate in all of this, but like, all right, at the end of the day, what is uh, what are the results of this pitch anyway? And man, I think it's ten percent swing strike rate is going to go through the roof uh this year and that's so so fun well i mean uh anytime the rays like you said it's very interesting to hear how uh you, you know you see how the dodgers and the rays differ and you're interested in it. Hey, rays turnaround uh, pitchers a lot of them got hurt last year though i mean i had tons of jeffrey springs drew rasmussen shares and for a while there i'm like yes and then by the end of the year no <laughs> so uh, there you go. All right, let's, let's talk about the player pool. Let's start with Ruvain here. By the way, you know, uh, usually Ruvain and I talk a lot more on the show here, but just, you know, these are stuff that, uh, and I, I'm not going to speak for Ruvain. For me, I just don't know this stuff as great as, as uh, other stuff that I do, and uh, really fantastic to hear you I, talk. I, I, I completely agree, and I'm just learning a lot just from listening, even from this five minutes. I mean, if, if you'd watched uh, PitchCon, you'd even gotten even more of this information. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I appreciate you guys. Uh, it's yeah. I feel like I am rambling a ton. I, I just can't stop talking about it. Well, we're gonna talk okay. some more, and let's talk about the player pool observations. So I'm gonna go to Ruvain first on there. We always talk before we set up a couple of undervalued players, just what the general shape of the of the player pool looks like. Anything interesting to note? So I'll leave it up to you, Ruvain. What are your thoughts on the 2024 starting pitcher player pool? Well, you got the top two studs. You got the two guys who are going the first round, Spencer Strider and Garrett Cole, who are the quote-unquote most safe. And then it's a matter of when you want to take your ace and who you believe in the most and who you think is going to be healthy and who and where you want to gamble. If you want to gamble in the second round, people are doing that. You want to gamble in the third round. But I think it's actually safer to go in the fourth and fifth round, get a safe or, or, or quote-unquote safe. When you're talking about pitchers, you don't know who's going to be safe. But a Logan right. Webb or, or, another, or another Logan, Logan Gilbert or a, a, a Kodai Senga, who you have an idea of what you're going to get from them. It's it's They don't have any major – thank goodness they don't have any major injury histories or anything like that. The top the, – the second round, guys, you're talking about Wheeler, you're talking about Gaussman, you're talking about Castillo – um, yes, I, I think that I think they're a little bit overpriced. I think they're going a little bit too soon, and I think you can get more value in the fourth, fifth, and even sixth round. So you can really back, you can get your hitters in the first couple rounds, and even wait and still get almost the same type of quality in the second round that you can get in the fourth or fifth round. All right, what are your observations, Nick, on uh, the drafting pool here for starting pitching? Um, it's uh it's something where I love. I mean, I, I'm very much geared to twelve teamers. Uh, it's pretty much what I talk about exclusively every so often. I'll jump into like the deeper stuff. But uh, my general strategy every year is, hey, I got hitting first because the hitting cliff is much harsher than the pitching cliff. And man, this year, round six through 10 are as full as ever. There are so many uh, quality arms that are capable of 180 innings. Um, and the way that I really craft innings in my head is just are they going every five days and are they guys that i expect pretty much every night to be able to go six innings if that's the case cool that's 180 over a season great awesome 
And uh, considering last year that I believe only 15 of the top 31 starters made at least 25 starts by ADP last year, uh, it's kind of hard to, uh, to to really say, like, cool, this is the safest thing, as Ravain was saying. Uh, so that means, great, then I'm not going to overpay, and I'm just going to say I'm going to get Kyle Bradish, I'm going to get Cole Reagans, I'm going to get... Uh, I love getting Nick Pavetta and Brian Wu, and I... I'm very much against going after a guy in the first couple of rounds. Uh, it's just not the way I go. And honestly, I'm always sitting in my hands come like the 20th round not to get like my 20th pitcher off the board because there's just so many good guys that could benefit your team this year. Yeah, I'll echo some of those sentiments and I'll throw in a couple of new things. First of all, to note, ATC has zero projected starters for 200 innings. Zero. That's almost a first. I think maybe last year I had like 199 or so. Uh, was the was the top one? Uh, Garrett Cole projected at 195. Logan Webb projected at 191. Of course, projected innings are um, important. You need innings. So Logan Webb just comes up here again. I love Logan Webb. We'll talk about him later. Uh, but that's it for those who even have 190 innings. So we're already more muddy as it is because of the less and the fewer innings. Now uh, I'll mention stuff in terms of 15-team league dollars, as we do on the show. But what I've noticed is that from pitcher number, let's say, number two, sorry, number three, right? We got Strider and Cole are the super elite. Pitcher number three and number set, number 19 here are separated by just a $6 auction value. That is so muddy. So you can basically say, forget about Zach Wheeler. You can downgrade him all the way to, say, Logan Gilbert, drop three, four rounds, and you're not losing much. And you can now upgrade your Jazz Chisholms to Ozzie Albies, or you can upgrade a Machado right. for an Austin Riley or Rafael Devers. Um, the There is no need to push pitching so much, so much. There's just so many guys. And remember, we always talk about the hotspot principle. When you have a clump of people in the same area, you can always get somebody at the bottom that's cheap, right? You don't have to push it up. You'll get somebody for a discount somewhere, and that's really where you should target. So those pitchers in the middle rounds, the early middle rounds for pitching, they're very, very plenty. Get two, maybe get three. I, I don't like the idea of getting an ace, super elite ace, or even an ace ace. I'm good with taking the 2-1-A strategy, get two low one one number one pitchers, even get two 1-A and a number two. Uh, Ruvain and I just did uh, an auction this past Sunday night. We got four top 30 pitchers. And we didn't really spend all that much on them uh, as compared to what the whole market did. The other thing I'll say is that after SP80, I don't see any fantastic values in bunches. Obviously, there's some pitchers with upside here and there, but I don't see that cluster of pitchers so that you really want to make sure you get your pitchers before it gets to SP80. And besides the cluster, you're also not getting the guaranteed innings or you're getting the injury risks or you're getting the warts down there. So again, grab them up top in the 5th, 6th, 7th, 8th rounds, get a couple there, and make sure you've gotten your pitchers before SP80. That's sort of what I take out of it. Any, any other comments? Yeah, I mean, um, I'm curious. Uh, first and foremost, are you talking most specifically about 15-teamers uh, or 12-teamers here? Well, the numbers that I'm talking about is 15, and mm -hmm. uh, I guess some of the strategy I'm talking about here more pertains to 15 in in, in I would say though, if we did shift to twelve or ten team mixed leagues, you can take a pitcher a little bit higher because remember the replacement value at the bottom is better, 
and now there'll be guys on the waiver wire who might be worth it. You can stream a little bit more. You could take a little bit more risk. So sure. I'm talking more deep in mono leagues, yeah. and I'm talking more in 15. Does that make sense? It works in a 12-team 12, 12 team league also because, you know, pitchers, you mentioned at the bottom, it gets really all these pitchers with a lot of warts on them. You, you don't want those either. So you don't want to get stuck. You don't want to have too much hitting. You want to, don't have too much pitching. You want to have a good balance. So the, the fact that if you play the middle part, let's say the fourth, fifth, sixth round, and you're not reaching up top, you're still going to get the strikeouts because there are a lot of good strikeout guys in the fourth, fifth, sixth round, and you're not losing out on, on ERA or whip in, in that area either. So I, I think what applies for 15 and, and 12 are almost the same, but when it comes to a 10, I think... T- 10, you know, the uh, it goes out the window. I, I'm, I'm willing to take in a 10. I'm willing to take a first-round pitcher, I think. Yeah, I can understand that argument um, just because, uh, you know, you need to distinguish more. Uh, and, you know, the smaller and smaller the league gets, it needs to be like, okay, cool, I need to, you know, I can't settle for 50 fewer strikeouts than Strider or something like that. Um, but I, uh, this is generally how I frame it. I'm, again, very much 12-teamer. So, I say I need to draft four guys on my team that I'm not dropping the entire year who I expect to give me 180 innings, okay? Like the ones that I'm just the entire year, I lock them in and I get this production. Essentially, I'm saying I don't expect them to have a heightened injury risk where I have to replace them and I will be competitive in ratios. I expect to get strikeout in an inning, if not more than that. If I have four of those, and I think you very much can, especially by doing the six through 10 method, which means that you can be less aggressive on your one and two, but then more aggressive on your three and four, then uh, it opens the door because my whole thing is in 12 teamers specifically, the waiver wire is so full. It is beautiful. I, I do this every year where I have two tables at the beginning of my rankings that highlights guys that went after your drafts would go in 12 teamers. So it's generally after 276, uh, the 23 rounds of 12 teamers that. So this is actually ADP from last year after 290, which is Zach Eflin, Cole Reagans, Justin Steele, Tanner Bybee, Bobby Miller, Gavin Williams, Nick Pavetta, Brian Bayo, Yusei Kikuchi, Tarek Skubal, Eduardo Rodriguez, Mitch Keller, Bailey Ober, Kyle Bradish, Yuri Perez, Aaron Savali. I mean, it goes on and on. Um, and there were other guys like during the year that you got value from. You just mentioned, you know, we actually just talked about Ryan Pepio. Um, there was Brandon Fought, who actually came back and did really well. There was Reese Olsen by the end as well. Michael King, uh, Bryce Elder had an amazing stretch to him, Chase Silseth, etc. And what's so important is to recognize in your drafts, this is not a best ball league. I've said this before with you guys of in previous years. Don't draft like this is your team for the entire year. You should be drafting with the anticipation of getting guys in April and May. So if you draft four that you know you're not going to drop, once that happens, then I shift and I go, great, give me all of the guys that I would be able to make a quick decision on early in my season that I could be hitting gold on. And it's important to make the quick decision because you don't want to be stuck with a guy while everyone else is getting these other things who you don't know if they're good for your team or not. You're missing out on things that are more higher likelihoods of sticking around in April and May, which is where we really find all this stuff out. So I I work in that method. And that means that, you know, Ariel talking about SP80 or so, and I can understand that completely. It's a lot of deep flyers. There's a reason I can do top 400 starting pitchers because I understand that where there is some way that this does work out for guys, right? 
Uh, every pitcher is a major leaguer for some reason, and things can change. Like guys can be throwing harder. They can learn a slider all of a sudden. They can uh, get a new grip for a changeup like Merrill Kelly did out of nowhere two years ago. Like it, These things can just change on the drop of a hat. And it's just so important to structure your teams out of the draft in a way that you are anticipating dropping some of them early. Uh, I cannot emphasize that enough. Interesting because, you know, I guess it's a little different philosophy because I'm suggesting you sort of, you know, make sure you get your guys uh, before SP80. Um, and maybe that's because I'm not as good as you in picking the pitchers after pick, uh, you know, 290. So I want to be more sure of uh, of what I know. And obviously, yes, I'm gonna. there's always going to be instances where I pick up people. I'll do the best I can, but I want to get more of the starters in my lineup that I can. Maybe, maybe it's just because I'm not as good, you know? Well, well, 15-teamer is a different thing, right? 12-team, is it's all about the burn and churn. It's all about, like, is this working? Is this doing the thing that's going in the right direction? No? Move on. Because you should not be – I mean, Ariel, you talk about this with your auction drafts, right? You don't want to leave the the draft with $260. You want to leave the draft with 290. That's how you win. So I see so this mistake so often of guys are keeping mediocre pitchers on their team and not chasing something else, feeling like that's value when it's not. You're just creating an average team. Instead, you should be trying to fill your roster as much as you can with SP4s, right? Not SP8s. So you can do that in a 12-teamer, especially if you just keep going after it. You will get there and be producing and not to say like as you go through it you're going to just get zero value absolutely not you're often going to get value in this but it's not really quite the the game changing thing which is pretty much what the average thing is anyway uh 15 teamers it's harder to do that and 15 teamers i certainly understand saying hey there's an earlier cutoff point for what is good here because you can't be stranded and so far behind earlier on because there's less uh there's a fewer number of large impact guys on the waiver wire throughout the year 100% I would probably extend my four that I like to probably about six or yeah six or so that I feel like I won't drop into 15 teamer um, because of that importance so a couple of important questions and yeah I want to I want to have Ruvain and I answer before we get your take just, oh please just yeah, I'm curious sorry. yeah <laughs> um which do you make sure obviously you need strikeouts and you need ERA and whip obviously you need everything but if you had to pick one that it's more important to press and grab and drafts first is it the strikeouts or are they the ratios which should you pay more attention to Ruvain what do you think I like getting one of each but I, I preferably I'd want the strikeout guy because the ratios you can make up with the middle relievers if you don't like uh, your your SP4 or SP5 start that week you can, if you throw in a middle reliever they can make up some of those ratios during the course of the year so I think having that strikeout guy especially because toward the end of the year a lot of people are just throwing out two-star pitchers or trying to get two-star pitchers just to have those extra strikeouts so if you have that strikeout guy to begin with you don't have the issue and and the ratios can be made up during the course of the year even with the middle relievers so you don't have to worry as much as grabbing say, say you know i need a guy with great era and whip because i'm going to fall behind Unless you know you're going to get a strike guy like a, a, a Dylan Cease who's going to get you a ton of strikeouts but may not be the best for your ERA and whip, then you may want to get another ERA and whip guy just to balance him out. So for me, the answer used to be ratios, ratios, ratios. You know, Kyle Hendricks, make sure you get those type of guys first because you can always make up the strikeouts by getting two-star pitchers. You know, you can make it up later, but, you know, you, you can't correct ERA and whip 
better. Nowadays, it's shifted more towards the strikeouts. Strikeouts are just more dependable, so they make better investments. You know a good strikeout guy? He's going to have value, period, because the ERA could be more in flux. So I would say that as the pitching is getting worse and as innings are drying up, it's now swung over to strikeouts. All right, what say you, Nick? Oh, man, there is no correct answer. Uh, the real answer to me is making sure you're not falling behind. Um, like, I don't want to draft a team that is just overly focused on strikeouts. I don't want to focus on a team that's only only focused on ratios, right? And there is a really good argument to have be had. Like, look, if you get behind in strikeouts, like, you're just not going to get it. You're just, you're done by, like, middle of June or so. Like, it's just you're so far behind and these other guys are just going to keep pumping forward and you can't now if you stay even with them like you can't do it and remaining makes a really good point about just uh about ratios are easier to make up with middle relievers they are volatile a little bit it's kind of weird sometimes but you're absolutely right generally you should be able to benefit from that there isn't uh an option for that um you can also make the same case if you want really about strikeouts too they're going to throw in a, a, a good one of those and it's kind of why i actually like to focus on getting a really high strikeout closer uh, because it does really help me balance out the team. Um, there's something massive to say about that. Uh, because I normally just kind of say like, oh, closers are just for saves. I'm like, wait, hold on a second. If this guy gets me like 100 strikeouts in here, that's huge. As opposed to someone else that gets me 60. That's like the difference between, I don't know, like uh, last year's Kevin Gosman and like Logan Webb or something, right? Um, so I, so that's a big, big difference. Um but at the end of the day, it's I, I I try to really just say I want above average, you know, really just the complete package of it. And they'll complement each other. Right. I, I won't go for Hunter Green. I'm not so I, I find myself realizing that uh, I can go for a huge strikeout guy, but it's kind of rare to have a really high strikeout guy who has horrible ratios because they just won't last long enough in games. Nick they Lodolo. Go and uh, Nick Lodolo is a very interesting one because we just don't know what to do there. <laughs> I mean, I like Nick, Nick Lodolo more than Hunter Green because I think that Lodolo is more of a complete pitcher that's who's able to go a little deeper into games. And Hunter Green, who has a honestly a bad fastball shape, but it's just really hard and he doesn't command it so well. But it, I don't want to draft Hunter Green anywhere. Um, but at the end of the day, I find myself thinking, okay, there's another aspect of this that uh that is not being talked about here which is if you have a good if you have great ratios and you don't have like a 15 percent strikeout let's just say it's like a great ratio is like a 20 to 25 so i call them hollies which is a step up from a toby right um which is uh which is kind of like your chris bassett almost uh they're going to get you wins too and the guys who are just ultra strikeouts with bad ratios they're not going to get as many wins because they're not going to go as long and they're going to have worse ratios than the lean they yeah. do have and that's part of the equation, too, of just tallying. Like, those tallies are important. So it's why I find myself just, just generally saying, look, I would rather have the, uh, instead of the cherry bomb that goes up and down, uh, start by start with ratios, but still is generally good at strikeouts, I would rather have the 22% strikeout guy who I believe in going six innings with good ratios because that also means they're going to have more wins. Yeah. And that's my th- philosophy there. Yeah, and, and that's the next question I want to ask is about wins. And we always uh, think of wins as, well, you know, wins doesn't predict performance. It's it's There's a lot of luck. I mean, the baseball HQ's motto is, you know, pr- project skills, not roles. And, you know, yeah. wins are, right, you know. So 
but the thing is that you need wins in your fantasy league, right? And sure. wins are getting more fickle these days. How important is it to quote unquote chase wins? Let's take guys who tend to pitch long in games. Take guys on good squads. Take guys with good bullpens, or take guys on teams that don't score a lot of runs that will produce safe, more safe situations. How much should you chase the wins now in nowadays? Yeah, what I do is actually I don't chase the wins. I chase the innings. So I, I the way I see it is you grab more guys with longer leashes. Uh, not only does that give them just lo- higher win chances, it also means that their good ratios are expressed more. Uh, and that generally makes that impact, right? Now, of course, you can be smart about it and say, well, I'm not going to chase that guy on the Pirates. I'm like, yep, that, that makes all the sense. Um, I will push back a little bit on some guys pitching for worse teams that, let's say the, the Royals win. Uh, of course, I have to do this on every podcast. It's in my contract now. Uh, let's say the Royals win 70 games this year. And Cole Reagans is starting, you know, one every five days. Like, okay, he's still probably going to win 10 of those, right? Something along those lines. And he's going to win a, a uh, exaggerated amount relative to the rest of that rotation. Maybe Waka and Seth Luga get some too. As long as you're going every five days and you have 30 starts or so in a year, a third win chance is like very reasonable, regardless of your team, if you're good. If you're bad, you're not going to get it. But if you have good ratios and you're doing this and you go 200 runs in six innings, like you're still going to get a fair number of wins. And that's the way I see it a lot. However, I will definitely give uh, Framber Valdez some love for this reason. That, yes, I expect Framber Valdez, who actually did not have as many wins as he should have, more love because yeah he's in as good of a situation as you can imagine with a super long leash consistency with innings winning ball club good defense good offense right like he's one of the highest win chance guys in my view logan webb is up there because he's going to go like seven eight innings that's why george kirby is up there even though the, the greatest offense chris bassett's up there i love chris bassett he, he averaged uh, he averaged going into the seventh inning in games last right I mean, that's, that's, that's amazing yeah and that's nowadays. that's what you can Especially do with nowadays, nowadays. Right, yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, I've been too low on Justin Verlander because I think the skills degradation is happening. Uh, and we just saw like a 21% strikeout rate from him. And it's just going to get worse, I think. Uh, but then again, Eno says he's Nolan Ryan. I'm like, oh, man. That's Luvain, uh, did did you see Kate Upton at uh, any City Field games this year? I, um, I don't. I no, don't. I, he wasn't on the Mets long enough for me to see him, though. No. I, I did I did <laughs> see her. I did see her at the game. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I've not. They probably, thought. They, they probably lost that game too. They did. <laughs> yeah, there you go. They oh, lost the so, line. So, so even, even if you're Justin Verlander <laughs> and Kate Upton's at the game, it doesn't guarantee you a win. But I mean, if you if you have a pitcher on a good team and a, versus a pitcher on a bad team, like let's say you're in round, I'll give an example. Let's say round six or seven, and you have a choice between Jesus Luzardo or uh, or or Dylan Cease or Kyle Bradish. I mean, who are you going to take? You're going to take the Kyle Bradish because you have a better chance of wins, I I would think, you know? Well, yeah. I mean, for me, that's like – this is my point, I guess, what I'm getting at. Wins are a really good tiebreaker a lot, and sometimes it really swings a guy up or down. But when I think about Kyle Bradish, my thoughts are the best slider from any starting pitcher in the majors. I mean, I'm serious. Spencer Striders is as good as it is because his fastball is so good, not because of the slider itself. It's crazy how good Kyle Bradish is. Uh, and then, as you mentioned, right – Orioles are going to win a ton of games. Super long leash. Ratios should be great. Curveball that should be thrown more. 
really bad four-seamer that he's allowing fewer balls in play on, which is good. He moved to a sinker, which is nice, but he still can improve on locating that four-seamer. But because he has such a good slider and, a, and such a good curveball, and in that team context, like that is such a safe, fantastic situation. While I think of Jesus Lazardo saying, oh man, your four-seamer is not good, uh, and you do not have good enough command on your slider, and you use your changeup too sporadically, uh, that's not sustainable to me and your health track record. And I see Dylan Cease, I'm like, you have a slider that you all of a sudden could not execute against lefties and uh, a fastball that gets destroyed against righties. And like, there you go. I, I You had two good months and that's it. And I just don't want to touch that. So to me, there's more aspects that define why Cal Brash is the one to do it. But absolutely right. Cal Brash is going to win more games than those two, um, given all that context as well. Uh, and it's just far and away to me, Kyle Bradish is the pick there. Yep, wins are important. Got to chase some of them. Well, let's talk ATC undervalued players. Of course, the name of the game here is we take a look at the players that ATC looks at and says, according to the market, they might be some very good values. And then we take a little bit of a deeper dive into them. We're going to do the top half of the starting pitcher, so we're talking better pitchers right now. We'll get to more of the sleepers and stuff in the next show. But you mentioned him already, Nick, to start, Framber Valdez. And ATC sees him as a bargain. Um, Ruben and I drafted him as our number one in the uh, in our auction the other day. Uh, he had almost 200 innings last year. He had over 200 innings the year before. I mean, his ERA has been rock solid, plays for a great team. I see little downside risk um, in general. So, what? Why is he being undervalued by the market? And do you? And look, I mean, you said before that you love him. So, I guess you agree with this, right? It's weird for me to ever say that I love Trevor Valdez. <laughs> I don't know if I said well, him. I was just saying, all right, for wins, safest situation. Okay. <laughs> um, by the way, uh, who's coming on next show? I'm curious. We got uh, Paul Sporer. Is uh, oh yeah, of course do, you uh, do. Of do, course uh, it's Sporer. That's great. Oh, that's gonna yeah. be such a good one. Um, everyone listen into that one. That's fantastic. Uh, yeah, Framber Valdez to me, I, I get it. Actually, I'm looking at all of these that you have. Uh, I'm not going to spoil them, but most of them are not your overwhelming 200 plus strikeout guys, right? Uh, and I think that's what the market is undervaluing a bit. And it's weird coming from me, who I've always been the guy that's like, don't settle for Tobies, um, don't settle for middling ratios, uh, middle. Ratio guys with like twenty percent strikeout rates. Yeah, twenty five last year. Twenty five. Well, right, but Framber, Framber's better than that. Uh, it's so frustrating, Framber Valdez. I could talk a long time about this, but in short, he has this cutter that he uses pretty much only against lefties now. But it used to be also against righties, and it was the perfect pitch for righties because he has a sinker. And if you guys were remembering what I said before, um, the start of this, you don't want to throw sinkers to to opposite handed batters. But that's what Framber does, and this pitch gets crushed all the time. And wait, hold on a second. You face more right-handed batters than you do left-handed batters. You should have a better weapon against right-handed batters. You know, you shouldn't be settling for this. That's going to be a problem. And what Framber has done is he's thrown more change-ups, which have helped. And this sinker still gets grounders a good amount and has a lot of sync to it. Fine. But, man, when Framber was throwing this cutter instead, and not actually using one that's like a gyro slider, almost one that's more lateral, to go inside to right-handers. Think of it like a two-seamer, same-handedness, just opposite of that. That was so effective. And I remember bonding with Eno in San Francisco when I saw him. Someone brought up 
uh, Framber Valdez, and we both looked at each other, he says, why doesn't he throw the cutter more? You know, and uh, I have to think that Houston's saying, like, hey, Framber, can we just get back to that cutter to right-handers? Cool, thanks. So uh, I really hope to see that from him. But at the end of the day, like, I mean, he's not going to be like a 4-5 ERA guy. He might have a 120 whip, but I hope not. And he's still going to get you 25% strikeouts because the curveball is really good, too. So I'm in. I mean, you're basically saying with a pitch mix change, he can be even more awesome is what you're saying. Oh, yeah. So, well, it's it's, yeah. it's it's really the biggest weakness of Framber is that he throws too many sinkers to, to righties. And it's just like... And that can be you know, uh, that can be fixed, really, uh, really. Yeah, Ruvain, exactly. any, anything to add to that? I mean, I I, I know that you think that he's a, a value as well. Yes, one hundred percent. And he only started using the cutter in twenty twenty two, so I think maybe he was still getting his feet under him. And like you mentioned, he used the change more, which helped. And listen, how many pitchers can say they've thrown three hundred and ninety nine innings over the last two years combined? Very few pitchers can say that. And if you need someone for bulk innings, instead of throwing out, you know, a number four or number five guy, this is the guy you want to have out there. And where he's going in, in auctions and drafts right now, his value is worth it where he's going. All right, Logan Webb, very short. Innings, innings, innings. 216 innings last year. Now, he doesn't have a fantastic strikeout rate, but when you throw that many innings, you're going to get strikeouts. He had 194. And as Nick pointed out earlier, when your whip is good and you have a larger inning count, that just extends your really elite ratios across more. So he's way more valuable because of that. He was a $21 pitcher last year. He's been over $16 the last three years in a row. So super stable, fifth round pitch. I mean, you 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 just want stability early. He plays in a great ballpark. Uh Walk rate cut in half last year. I mean, the skills look like better. Even the strikeouts are are up, and maybe there's a little bit of upside to the strikeouts. I mean, what's wrong with Logan Webb, Nick? Nothing's wrong with him. I've been as SP10. There you go. There you go. Um, yeah. I mean, it's kind of funny. What did you say his dollar value was last year? 21 in a 15-team league. 21. So uh, I remember in, in, I think it was maybe last year or the year before, it, there's a really interesting discussion if you guys want to go back and listen to these previous episodes with uh, with Ariel and Ravain about assessing guys as dollar values and like what that means and like this guy was a value of six dollars or something last year and something that I've been talking about a lot with guys is how much wins influence that mark like I've heard like oh this guy's 18th on the player radar oh god this guy's like 10th or this guy's 50th and really just there's a lot of times it's just oh this guy happened to have 16 wins or this guy happened to have eight wins the fact that he had such a high dollar value for just 11 wins last year should speak to how effective Webb was. Great point. Great point. And that it was a 325 ERA and a 107 whip. But because it was 216 innings, like, that's amazing considering that you'll get that from, like, 150 innings or something from other guy. And that's like, well, hold on a second. You're getting, what, like, 45% more expression of those ratios? Like, unreal right i uh, i love that so what Wo logan webb does is it's, it's kind of hilarious he just throws arguably the greatest changeup in baseball and he does it to both sides of the plate does not matter or to both batters uh and his sinker because this changeup is now the focus like he had games last year i asked sarah langs on twitter i was like how many times have we seen a pitcher throw this year over 60 changeups in one game and she's like, yeah, it's just Logan Webb. <laughs> like, only Logan Webb does that. Uh, and it was like two or three games that he did that. But the fact that he throws more change-ups than sinkers is amazing because it mirrors the sinker perfectly, which means that Logan Webb has the number one called strike rate on sinkers. And is the sinker this absurdly good 
uh, contact mitigator? No, I would not say that. We have a new stack called ICR um, that we've been using for a couple of years and I've been really uh, leaning into, which is ideal contact rate. It essentially says when this ball is put into play, when is it good for the, the hitter? Over a 50% chance of being a hit, uh, as opposed to the other forms of contact, which are like 15% and lower, right? So when you see a pitch, the best pitches in the game are going to be like sub 30%. Uh, generally, we see around 40% for fastballs. And yeah, Logan Webb, 41% ICR. Like, it's kind of average at this. It's actually 36th percentile of all sinkers. And yet, he's so good because it's a 32% called strike rate. 32%, a third of the time that Logan Webb throws a sinker, it's a called strike. Just think about that for a second. You know, CSW is good at 30%. This is just one half of CSW, and it's already over 30%. Yeah. Uh, I mean, if, if that's something that they're going to uh, they're, they're gonna adjust to the league? Where... They can't. They can't. They, okay. they can't because he throws it less than the changeup. Right, right. So the changeup, and he, he commands his changeup so well. Webb's changeup is, like, the best commanded changeup, so, and that just goes right under the zone. So and he's got a 62 percent ground ball rate. So if you have a good infield there, 62. I mean, which wow. they generally it's, do, right? It's crazy. And they got rid of Brandon Crawford because yeah. he was not as good at the end. So that works. Did we you see throw Brandon Crawford at, at at the Arizona Foley game? Wasn't Did he there we? One year? I don't know. I mean, maybe when he was playing in it. No, 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 no. He came. Uh, he no, came uh, after the season. <laughs> Here's Brandon Crawford throwing at the first pitch. It wasn't wasn't that his? Oh, maybe that's right. That's totally possible. Um, but I, no, I was trying to be charming at the time, so I probably wasn't listening. Um, no, <laughs> I, I, the slider is the other part that you mentioned actually has some strikeout upside. Yeah, because he keeps trying to figure out how to get a slider back from 2021, which was a massively higher swing strike rate. We're talking a uh, swing strike rate of 22% on that slider in 2021 that fell to just 10% last year. And he's changed the grips on, he was trying to get it back. And I just look at this and say, oh. Logan Webb, you could be better than last year. You could have, you know, you can figure out that slider, and all of a sudden now you have a even better weapon against right-handers uh, to then create a, I don't know, instead of a 23% carry, a 25%, and you do that over 200 innings. Like, this is amazing. I want this. This is such a high floor, and I'm in. Well, I throw a lot of change-ups in my softball game and uh, hey. generate weak contact, and and I, I've developed this nice hard screwball that that sort of pairs with my changeup and uh, hold on a second hold on Ariel <laughs> you're throwing underhand correct that's right so how do you throw a screwball uh screwball I'm I'm jerking it um clockwise with my right hand and I'm throwing it across my body so I get the action right because so this would you would say the opposite of what you'd call the motion for a curveball yeah, it's the right. It's exactly what it is. Uh, you, you, screwballs are gonna tail into the right-handed batter as opposed to away from it. Cool, because I because one of the things I hear all the time is call, people calling changeups screwballs, and they're not. Uh, a screwball properly is like throwing a curveball, but you do it like the walk, like an Egyptian thing. It's the opposite. It's the opposite movement. On right. Your hand. So it's instead of your pinky leading the curveball, your thumb. Thumb is, is the yes, curveball. correct. It's the thumb. And I am so happy you agree with this because honestly, this has been a point of contention. <laughs> yes, so yes. many times, and I he, I keep hearing people call changeups Scroogey like Devin Williams, and it's is he actually going out like a changeup? No, or sorry, like a curveball? No. Okay, never mind. It's just a super pronated changeup then. Definitely, 
you know, you just see what these pitchers are throwing in. You see your ability to throw, and you mimic that. All right. Well, anyway, let's go on <laughs> to next pitcher. Uh, Max Fried. We're going to go to Ruvain first because this is really an injury yeah. issue. Max Fried, when he pitches, is fantastic. We've seen it every single year. He's had an ERA pretty much under three for the last four years in a row and five out of the last six. His whip has been, you know, talking hovering around or below 1.1. So we know he's good, and he also has a good changeup as well. Uh, question of staying on the field. He had some concerning issues, health issues. He only managed 78 innings. Uh, I drafted him last year in a bunch of leagues and did not help me in those. Ruvain, are you okay with Max Fried? Are you confident he's going to get through? ATC projections are at 162 innings. Is, are you confident in that? I'm going to say maybe. The reason I'm going to say maybe, he's never thrown more than 185 innings in a season. He's always had health health concerns. Last year was a hamstring, forearm, blister, but he still posted the highest K rate of his since 2019. So I think that the, he may get to that total. It'll be close. It'll be probably in between 155 and 165 if I had to say any, if I had to say it, because I think the Braves are going to be careful with him. I think they're going to treat him the same way the Dodgers will treat their starting pitchers. They're going to be they want him to be ready for the postseason. They don't want him and they don't want they want him to be ready 100% healthy, no problem. So I think they're going to be very extra careful, give him extra rest if he needs it. If any little thing comes up, he's going to sit down the 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 Braves are deepest starting pitchers in their minor in their minor system, so I don't think that's going to be an issue. Um the one thing that I did look for was after he came back from his forearm injury, I checked his velocity. There was no dip in the velocity when he came back, and that was a good sign. That means that I think this forearm issue may be behind him, which gives me the the confidence to say that he'll have the over of the 162-165 inning threshold, but still he's playing for a team that's playing for the World Series, not for the regular season. That's something you have to take into account when you draft Braves pitchers and when you draft Dodgers pitchers. All right, so Nick, I, I, I think that you think that he's a decent pitcher. On level between 1 and 10, 10 being the – I'm very nervous. How nervous are you about him getting through the year health-wise? Eight. Okay. Um, yeah. And actually, you know, it's really funny, Ariel. I don't know if you remember this. Uh, I think it was Florida last year. Maybe it was Arizona la- uh, a year and a half ago. Do you remember talking about, like, risk assessment? And we both labeled Max Fried as, like, the safest guy going into 2023? Do you remember yeah. this? It's safest, of course, by production, but yeah. No, but no, but just being like, there were other guys that we thought would get injured and stuff, and it's just like, it's Max Free is just so consistently always good. Like, he's like the safest one, which is, I mean, I think just a showcase of like how hard it is to predict this stuff, right? Um, and I, just, I that stuck with me so much. I just remember laughing internally because I would never express like any sort of positivity of seeing a guy like Max Free get injured like this. But it was just, oh my, I was like, are you kidding me? Like, this is the guy we thought would be so safe. Um, I'm incredibly nervous uh, for a couple of reasons. One, I mean, just to talk about Ravaden's point, like, that's a really good one. I didn't even consider how Atlanta might just baby him a bit and say, rest this week, rest that week. And let's say then it totals, I don't know, 140 innings for the year. Unlike it is, say, Glasnow, where that's not going to be innings you get with someone else right those missing innings you don't just put them on the il and then be able to replace it those are ones you have to endure for the entire year which is a huge differentiation when you talk talk about expected innings from a guy and i try to avoid those you know i call those hipsters headache inducing pitchers stifling the roster right so you just don't want to do that 
Uh, and But let's just say, hey, you know what? We think that, that Atlanta is going to go every five days with him. I talked to Steven Lyman. Um, I trust him a lot in this, and I imagine, Ruvain, you'd have the same feelings. I'm just saying, look, foreign strains are tears, and that's a tear that generally um, doesn't disappear, and it's about a year or so for you'd be out of the woods on it. Partial um, tear. You make a good it's point about velocity coming back. Tear. Right. I mean, it's still a tear, right? Uh, Correct. It's and a partial tear. Very much so. Um, How okay, you have so a I want to it. It's a tear or a tear. It's like saying I've got two right. and a half bags. It's, it's a bag. Well, that's well. That's what a sprain or a strain is. A sprain. Think of a, muscle, a tendon or a muscle as a rope of a ship. You can take some of those fibers off. It's still intact. Oh, okay. But they, but that but it's well, a little right, bit. But it's still not the same. I'm absolutely with you here. Um, a good example of this, actually, we even saw last year. Uh, I don't know if I can trust the velocity. Because we saw with Carlos Rodon, if you look at last year in 2023, he actually had the same velocity on average for the full year uh, as he did in 2022. However, um, once Rodon did come back, it took him about two months to finally like really ramp up to like 96 for two games. And then just like that, 94, 93 and change. And I'm not ready to say that Freed's forearm is just good now. Uh, I'm very terrified about it, and I'm likely, you know, I mean, the whole thing, this is the worst thing that we do in the offseason is try to predict volume and injuries, and all you have, to, all you can really do is just put a number on, like, the scale of, of just what you want to risk on this, right? And where he's going in drafts, to me, I just am not going to take a chance on that and have the anxiety, you know? Could I be missing out on production at that point in the draft? Absolutely. However, I'm going to trust that if that is the outcome and I'm behind someone else who did get him there, then I get fortunate or at least have skills enough to catch up in the pitching departments elsewhere, right? I'm not going to make that the focus of my season. It's, I mean, it's like last year we talked about the DeGrom influence, right? How much better he is than everyone else. Thus, you know, where are you going to expect it? And everyone won. You know, there's a common thing of like, well, let's say you get 120 innings from the ground. I'm like, 120? I'm like, you get like 30. Um, and that's the kind of thing with Freed here. If You know, with a forearm injury like this, it's not just like little things throughout the year. It's like, you're going to get like nothing or you're going to get a lot, kind of. And I just don't want that risk. Yeah, so it's a binary risk there. And, you know, we talked about uh, going into the season, he was safe. And certainly you want to pick safe pitchers, but... You know, the opposite is more true where, you know, if they're risky to start, they're probably there. You know, what? I, I, I do want to get to a lot of other pitchers, but there's such good strategy questions really want to ask you. And, you know, one number one pertaining to, to, to Freed and where to buy him. So, OK, we believe he's injured injury risk, not worth taking at the spot. We get it. The question is, what kind of a discount do you need to roster him? Or is it just don't roster at all? Like, if he's yeah. going right now in the fifth round, you know, do you need, like, a tenth round? Like, I'm not going to take him unless it's the tenth round, which basically means that you're not going to roster him at all. Or is it if I take him in the seventh round, which is a two-round significant discount, that's okay and, and that's worth the risk? Like, where are you on, on the don't take Max, Max Freed uh, platform? Yeah, these are it's a great question. I'll say like I'll stick around as long as you guys will have me here. Uh, <laughs> Sounds good to me. Um, I yeah with uh with Max Freed, it's I have him currently I believe at twenty two, uh, or maybe twenty three. I think it's twenty two, and I have him right before a tier called the Shiny Squirrels, 
um, which are like the the big hot names that honestly have actually worse floors when it comes to like their production. I'm not actually as sold that every quality of uh, every starter so will be of quality, right? So that's like Yuri Perez is in there, Jesus Lazardo is in there, Logan Gilbert surprisingly is in there for me um, because his fastball just got worse again and he does not have good command. He has good control but not command. Um, and then uh, someone else is in there that I, I can't remember off the top of my head. So that's kind of where it is for me. It's like, okay, that gamble of health is equivalent to the gamble of skills of the other guys, right? Where the ceilings, I mean, I love Max Reed healthy. Oh, man. I, I adored him last year. Uh, I, he's great. He's always going to outperform like stuff models and stuff because I think he's legitimately a command pitcher. And it's awesome. And he also has this new changeup that is great. Winning ball club, great defense, you know, all this stuff. Um, so that's where I would do it is saying, okay, that risk versus the other risk of skills. And that really happens around yeah, SP 22 to 23 for me, right? Actually around Freddie Peralta. Um, same idea to me. So interesting. That's what I would do. You, do you agree, Ruvain? We talked a little bit about uh, uh, that on last show, but uh, I mean, if two rounds of discount enough, do we need to just make it five, and that means we'll never get him? Well, I think it also depends if they if they're injured last year and if they came back. With Max Fried, I'm willing to take a little bit less of a discount because he did come back, and I know Nick, you said don't read into his velocity that much, but he did come back and he did pitch pretty decently. So I'm not overly concerned. Like I'd be more concerned or even stay away from a pitcher like Joe Musgrove. Like I don't even know if I even want to have anything to do with him because oh, like he Musgrove. didn't come back last year. So, you know, a pitcher like that, even even a five-round discount is not going to persuade me to take him. But a Max Freed, if I, if I get a one or two, maybe uh, maybe a two-round discount, then I'd think about taking him. I like Musgrove, too, but the question is, is injury risk, right? Is Do I want to roster such a player, right? Right. I mean, his injury isn't as extreme, I think, as a Shoulder issues, thing. though? Uh, it was inflammation, which we see all the time. I mean, shoulder issues would have gotten you out of, say, like Zach Gallen and— uh, Zach Wheeler, um, you know, in multiple seasons. Uh, and they were just great um, in those seasons. Uh, it's not like a capsule injury for Musgrove, right? It's not a rotator cuff injury. Um, no, it's and not. I honestly, it's not. My, my whole take on the Musgrove thing is that was a situation, actually, you know, brought it up of Mexico City affecting him, which I didn't even think about before. But more so of just short in season, he got a little pushed, like, because he was just trying to get back into it. Body wasn't quite ready for that. It's not like a lingering thing to me that now he's still going to be hurt and needs to get surgery or something along those lines. It's not yeah. what I see. I think it's important to have the conversations about the specific players to see whether we believe the injury risk or not. And then the second que- and the second part of it, of course, is deciding if I believe in, in the risk, what do I do with it? They're two separate issues, right? Yeah, two sure. separate yeah. components. The other question I wanted to ask you is, um, you know, you said you're not sure. We're talking about Max Fried. Will they baby him? Well, what about Yamamoto on the Dodgers? Sure. I, who, no guarantee he's going to get to that number of innings. They, maybe they'll baby him. They signed Kershaw. Obviously, that's going to be – it's not babied. He's just going to come back in the end. But the idea is that they might be cautious with some of their big investments, and they might say, you know what? This is all for playoffs. Uh, where are you on, on Yamamoto? And, of course, Yamamoto has the other story of, well, <laughs> he's a foreign player playing in the league. Who knows if he can really adjust? Where, where are you on Yamamoto in general? I mean, my understanding of his arsenal is just super high-quality consistency throughout it, which I absolutely adore. Um, and, again, pitching for the Dodgers is generally good. It's a six-man, 
Um, and I've also said that six-man rotations are like Fellowship of the Ring, where it starts off with a large party of high expectations, and it ends in the end of the year with two guys barely struggling to survive. Um, so with the Dodgers, I think they actually will listen to it with Yamamoto because they signed him for 10 years, and he's really young, and he does not have any experience of this kind of workload every five days. So I'm expecting 150 from him. I... Bobby Miller, maybe slightly more. Like, he's going to be their workhorse this year, I think. And they would be willing to, like, let him be inside of a, every five days more so than anyone else on that uh, roster. But honestly, he could just be a six-man the entire way through because they do have a decent number of guys in the minors that could come up and make an impact. Uh, Kyle Hurt is one. Or River Ryan is one. Kyle Hurt. Uh, I really like River Ryan. Really good extension. Incredibly athletic kid. Uh, and then you have, like, Michael St- uh, Gavin Stone and Michael Grove just being weirdness and uh, Ryan Yarbrough in there and like they're gonna figure it out. So uh, Yamamoto, I, I I like it more than these guys because it's not the extreme. Well, he's gonna get zero or like thirty innings or something. Like, right, it's not a binary risk. It's just right. Tapering it's it. just right. like cool. Okay, one hundred fifty. Well, I, I just think I'm gonna get that many quality innings. So these that's are great points, by fantastic. the way. And, you know, I always tell people it's not about, oh, is this player good? Is that player good? It's understanding the context of why it's a good choice in, from a fantasy perspective and, you know, right. and and doing that. All right, before we go any further, it's time for the Injury Guru's Trivia of the Week. Well, the next picture we're going to talk about is Zach Eflin. Zach Eflin threw a career-high 177 innings last year for the Rays. So the trivia question for the week is this. Can you name the last three Rays pitchers to throw more than 180 innings in a season? Morton? Charlie Morton's one of them. 2019, he threw 194. Uh... Because remember, the Rays are not known for letting their pitchers go very deep. Uh, Rays pitcher, uh, what was the innings amount again? 180 innings for a season. David Price? No. Can can I was, can I guess was, Blake Snell? Blake Snell is correct. Oh, yeah, 180 he, oh, in 2018. And, yeah, and I got another one. 2018. Yes. Chris Chris Archer must have done it. Yeah, your favorite Chris Archer. He did it a couple <laughs> of times. The last so the last three pitchers to throw over 108 innings. 2019, 2018, and 2017. So that's the last time until Zach Eflin. His rate, his walker is the lowest of his career. His ERA was 3.5, but his ex-ERA, his expected ERA, was actually 3.11. He used his cutter more, um, and he's going at the end of the fifth round. What's there not to like, Nick? Well, Zach Eflin's actually going in the middle of the sixth round. Big difference. Oh, okay. Sixth well, round. Uh, What's there I, not to I like? Have, where do I have Eflin? Uh, I think I have Eflin at like 13 or something like that. SP 13? Um yeah, 14? That's something along those lines. I should really have this memorized. Uh, <laughs> I just put it out this week, okay? I'm still still remembering everything now. Um, with I, with Eflin, I do feel as if it was a peak season last year. Uh, oh, no, I have I have Eflin at 18 inside of my savings accounts, which is just just safety uh, starters. And, yeah, the, the, the Tier 3 before that is all, like, the risky aces. Um, but, yeah, with Eflin, it's... Really, like, all across his repertoire. He even got value out of his terrible four-seamer because the Rays are like, you know what? You don't throw it at all, and you're just going to surprise guys with two strikes upstairs. Just do that. 
and he somehow gets swing strikes on it because it's only two strike counts and everyone thinks it's going to act like the two-seamer and it doesn't. I, I love the fact that he added this cutter. You know, as you mentioned, he got the most out of his curveball, which isn't just as simple as, like, throw it more. It's, hey, let's get it consistent more because he always wanted to throw it more with the Phillies. He just couldn't have it in, in a given game. Like, he would test it out in the bullpen. And it wasn't there, he wouldn't throw it. So I, I like it. I also think that he's going to take a step back because he just squeezed everything he had out of it last year. And generally when you see a peak season like that, it does not stay as a plateau. Do, do you think he has a, a, a bottom or do you think that he has a pretty safe floor? Because at the, the price that he's going, he could take several steps back. And he's still uh, a value. And, and by the way, even if he's not a bargain bargain, even if he holds some 80% of his value, that's still pretty good for what you're getting at your, as your number one, maybe number two starter at the worst, right? Do you see any issue with that? Because to me, it's, it's, a, it's a good piece to put in your puzzle. And you know, that walk rate last year was phenomenal. He had a 3.4% walk rate. I mean, we're talking George Kirby territory almost, but with the strikeouts. So he's super, in my opinion, for the price. Yeah, I don't think he's got the same put-away rates. That is, when he's throwing pitches in two-strike counts, how efficient is he getting a strikeout? And that's going to likely take a step back um, this year, which means that you're probably not going to get the same number of strikeouts from Eflin um, in 2024. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I have him in my, in my top 20. I have him at, have him I have his... him at just 161 strikeouts projected. He had 186 last year. So even with 25 less strikeouts, still an incredible bargain. Yeah. Yeah, again, even with fewer strikeouts, it's all good. Uh, and really, I have like Kyle Bradish, Zach Eflin, Joe Musgrove, Framber Valdez, Kodai Singh, just kind of hanging out together, right? Um, this is going to be production for you. You're going to be cool with it. I have them above the shiny squirrels, as I mentioned, of Yuri Perez and Tarek Skubal, Logan Gilbert, Jesus Azardo, Blake Snell. And I have them below the really fun ones, I think, will take that step and be great of uh, Yamamoto and Bobby Miller and Cole Reagans and Grace Rodriguez and Tyler Glass now. And yes, I know I have Cole Reagans at 14 because I believe it. Uh, and that is my like, I, I hate that it's become such a thing of me. I'm like, oh, yeah, well, Nick has to do it. But it's I thought I was gonna be so low on him. And nope. But anyway, Zach Eflin. Yeah, it's gonna be good. Just don't expect as good. I mean, anything to differ, Ruvain? No, I, I I like where he's going, and I I think he's where where he's going. You're not gonna you. His floor is basically known. I mean, we saw what he was with the Phillies. This is, this is a different picture than he was with the Phillies. So I think his floor is not that. I think his floor is to the point where if you take him where you're getting to get him now, you're not gonna you, you'll you'll break even. You're not gonna lose money, but you'll break even. I think. Yeah, his his pitch mix is totally different. He's a he's a different pitcher, more cutters and, and curveballs, and and that, that really did him well. Next pitcher, Tanner Bybee, uh, who I think actually can take a step up in strikeouts this year. Uh, I think he can really grow in that. Um, I mean, he was phenomenal. You know, uh, one of the guys who came on as a fab pick and really was successful under three ERA, one eighteen WHIP. Uh, and he's going in the eighth round, which is you know about par value, a little bit of a bargain actually. Not a bad spot to take maybe a number three uh, there, maybe even number two. Uh, it depends on on what your build is. Um, in in I guess in twelve team leagues it wouldn't be a two; it would be a more of a three four almost. But uh, a good pitcher, Tanner Bybee. Uh, any any thoughts? And I love the organization. I love the Guardians for developing this pitching. So I, I trust the organization as well. Yeah, I I don't trust the Guardians, and I know that sounds really weird. 
I I trust their minor leagues, but I honestly don't really think of any starters in the past that got just demonstrably better in the majors. Like they showed up and that's what they are. Well, the development. I mean, they they they've developed well and you've had good pitchers as, as a result. Well, I mean, but they but that development happened in the minors is my point. So like right. when they became starters and I don't think it gets better as far as development now is what I'm getting at. And when I look at Bybee, uh, I watched a lot of him last year because generally what my eye test says about his uh, his command and his approach just does not match the results. And my gosh, his slider and change of command is just not good. It really is just one of those things that drive me up the wall uh, in watching him. I mean, he got good results and it worked out. And it was so many times I just feel like he's throwing and not executing. And his four-seamer... This pitch that he says, all right, stay verde and make sure I'm good on that. It's not a good four-seamer. It's actually a very detrimental one for him. Uh, he does stay vertical on it, but very bad pitch shape. Should not be this great pitch for him. So I see a classic Guardians pitcher of slider and change of focus without a good fastball. And the fact that Tanner Bybee is a worse Carlos Carrasco to me of old bothers me. Uh, it's very possible that he improves on his command of his changeup and his slider as well to make it less just hanging out in the zone. However, I kind of believe that he's going to get worse before he gets better, which has me out on Bybee. He's inside my top 40. Like, if he's my fourth starting pitcher, then fine. I'll, I'll take this. But there are a lot that are expecting him to take another leap for stability, and I just can't do it. So... I'm out on Bybee. All right. Uh, great to hear your thoughts. Ruvain, are, are you a fan of Bybee? I'm a little mixed with him. Um, he he did throw a total a total of 157 innings last year. He only had 132 in the majors. So his inning, I don't think his innings are going to be limited if people think that he's going to only throw 132 innings. No. He did throw 157 innings last year, so there could be a slight increase with that. His K rate in the minors was over 11 per nine innings. In the majors, only nine. I mean, there is room for improvement there. He's still in, obviously, still playing in the AL Central, which is not the best division for for uh, for hitters. I mean, it's 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 great, so I I think that's a good, that's going for him also. But I thought he was lucky last year. His ex his ERA was two point nine eight. His expected ERA was three point six six. I'm a little bit concerned about that. I mean, if he's if he's a little bit lucky, that's great. But I mean, he you know how much is that luck gonna continue? Um, he does have the possibility of upside, which makes him very tempting. So I think if for the right price, if there's no one left on the board, I think I may go after him. Oh, yeah, the ERA totally was wrong. He's not a sub-3 ERA pitcher. ATC projections have him at 3.74. So, I mean, he's he's going to go up uh, three-quarters of a run. Yes, definitely. Price is still somewhat decent. Um, at, at least I, I think so. But uh, good to hear Nick's thoughts on him. How about this guy, Justin Steele, who just looked fantastic. Uh, Nick, do you think that this is repeatable? Obviously, that you're going to see some regression in the ERA, but maybe the whip is even going to go down. I mean, his Babbitt was 317 last year, so some of those hits were getting through. Walk rate looks really nice. He's really made adjustments. Strikeout rate is okay-ish. And any, any thoughts on Justin Steele? Projections, by the way, are very close to each other. They're very, very low projections volatility, which means that we're more sure of the result. Uh, first and foremost, what I think about Justin Steele is that you're pronouncing his name wrong. Oh, it's Justin 
Deal. <laughs> and he's back for sequel. Okay, I uh, Justin Steele to me is very strange. He doesn't really throw a four seamer. He throws a cutter. Uh, this is this is a cutter, and uh, keeps getting classified as a four seamer. No, it, it's it's a cutter. He does a really good job of you know when I talked about before of like right-handed hitters need to have a weapon and left-handers need to have a weapon. Well, his cutter is that weapon against right-handers. He gets it inside a ton against them, jams them. It's low ICR, and guess what? The slider is good against lefties. And there you go. And that's really what Justin Steele does all day. I think my biggest worry is he's just a two-pitch pitcher. I mean, really, he's just cutter slider. And I don't love chasing a guy with two pitches where I don't really think either one is truly elite. Uh, neither of these are big swing strike pitches. The slider's a 16%. Um, both of them have good ICR rates. Uh, the four-seamer, I mean, 38% ICR, but I mean, if you think of it like a cutter, I guess. Uh, and that's good to have 63% of the time. Slider is 35%. It's not like this, you can't hit this. And seeing a nine hit per nine last year, it just kind of is like, yeah, that's kind of who he is. So uh, it, it just all sums up to me as someone who really shouldn't be like a 25% K rate, probably closer to like 22. And the ERA is going to get worse while the whip is 117 because he was able to walk fewer batters at 5%. But is he going to be able to really sustain that? He doesn't have a third option if something gets worse here. Like, it's another situation to me of a guy capping out, and I don't really want to buy into that. I, it, when I get guys, especially with those four I'm talking about, I want them to have like a real legitimate ceiling of being a 25 to 30% strikeout guy with better than a 117 whip that Steele had last year. Uh, I don't I don't really see Justin Steele becoming this like three ERA, 105 whip, 25 to 27% strikeout rate arm. I just, I really don't see that with this cutter and slider. So that has me out for that reason of not really having those easier paths to the better extremes. Ruben, I want to go on to you with Shane Bieber, another injury guy. Um, this is somebody who's really getting a discount in the market. I mean, auction dollars worth 14, and he's going for an auction equivalent of eight, which is tremendous. Um, and, you know, it's still acceptable. We're talking at a, about a 12th, 13th round, so you don't have to sacrifice a 6th, 7th round pick for a guy. But, I mean, he's got good skills. We've seen him just two years ago in 2022. He was a $20 pitcher throwing 200 innings. Are you concerned about uh, Shane Bieber? Is this a good uh, risk to take to roster him at a nice discount, which you are getting, according to projections at least? Well, where he's going, he's, his risk is more acceptable than Max Freed. Just for context, Shane Bieber, uh, Max Freed is two years old. Uh, Max Freed is two years older than Shane Bieber, and Zach Eflin is younger than Shane Bieber. You, you know, you think of these people, you you think of how long they've been in the league and everything like that. But he's got elbow inflammation. Elbow, he had elbow inflammation. That could be anything. They may be hiding something that something's then that's they don't know what's going on. Sometimes inflammation can hide a tear. You don't even know what's going on. But you're getting the injury discount baked into where he's going right now. Um, he did come back at the end of last year. He was able to make a couple of starts, but he's going in the same round around Mitch Keller, Jose Barrios, Christian Javier. You know, a lot of those guys. Uh, Barrios had a good year last year, but Christian Javier didn't really. I think why not be willing to take. The risk on Shane Bieber at this level and not a Christian Javier. 
So Shane Bieber had a 3.8 ERA. Can he stay below a 4 ERA? Can he get back down to maybe like a 115 whip? And where are you with the health concerns, Nick? Well, I, I think it's really valid. Um, uh, what Ravine was saying, and it's interesting because I could actually see how Bieber is better this year and retain some of the uh, the strikeout numbers. I honestly think it's a key of not allowing his fastball to creep up as much as it does because it does have good IVB, but actually really low adjusted VAA, which means that it's actually better located low and he can actually steal a lot of the called strikes, which is what he does as a Guardians pitcher is that he steals called strikes with his four-seamer and then tries to get you out with his secondary stuff. And that could return again. I don't really see that out of the question, even though he's throwing 91 miles per hour now. But yeah, the health is another concern. And considering in 12-teamers for me, uh, Shane Bieber is a Toby these days of being a 20% strikeout rate. That's what you're kind of expecting. Yeah, you don't draft Tobies in the first place, but if you want to chase the ceiling of Bieber and saying like that fastball is going to get better to set up more strikeouts, well, that is counterbalanced by that heightened injury risk. So yeah, I'm not really chasing this. Yeah, I have reservations about him too. We had a chance to draft him the other day, but we decided not to. Um, I, I'm still risk averse in in uh, at this level as well. Any lower, maybe three, four rounds later, then I take more gambles on on guys who had shown the upside. Uh, because you can toss them away uh, more here. I think the opportunity cost is still uh, – you're not going to want to throw them away when you're sacrificing a 12th-round pick. And and there are other – and in a straight draft, there are other players at this level, at this pick, I should say, where I'm much more interested in. Uh, and you might want to to grab maybe a hitter who you know completes a certain category for you. So I, I'm just not in at this spot for Bieber as well. And sometimes you get sometimes you get to just ignore the name and look at the numbers because if you see the name, you see Shane Bieber, you're not going to want to drop him. But if you see the numbers and the numbers don't jive with the name, then you then you should have no problem dropping. But people see the name and they just can't let go. Last pitcher to talk about today, Chris Bassett. Uh, we spoke about him earlier that it's a he goes into the seventh inning on average, and you don't see that that much. Uh, pitched 200 innings. I mean, he's pretty much he's gained in innings the last couple of years. Uh, he was out a couple of years ago with a fluky hit-in-the-head type of injury, which he bounced back well. Because he last in games, he had 16 wins last year, 15 wins the year before. The ERA has looks like it's a nice floor. Now, the only thing is uh, he for the – earlier part of his career, he had, was pitching in really good pitchers' parks. We're talking about Oakland, New York. Now he's in Toronto, although Toronto actually changed their park, and it's much more of a of a pitcher-friendly park than it was. So uh, th- that really helped him a lot. His whip has been kept down. He's been a consistent low BABIP, so I think he has a, uh, uh, a better uh, whip floor, and I think he has enough Ks. It, you know, it's, it's one of those guys you talked about earlier, Nick, where it's not a 20, it's you know, 23, 22, something like that, where you're getting something. And uh, just like just like uh, Zach Greinke, who you got worried when, uh-oh, his velocity was down the spring, he did that too. He was pacing himself for uh, for big inning stints. So he sort of knows his body. I kind of like that tangentially about him. And Toronto should have a lot of offense. So you put the fact that he can have some, some wins again, that there's a nice floor on some of his ERA whip and even strikeout metrics, and he's pr- going a, a little bit cheaper than he probably should, according to projections. Not a bad pick. I wouldn't really bank on it, but he's a guy that I, I don't have a problem taking. I really don't. You know, Ariel, uh, who was the Mets pitcher? I think it was a Mets pitcher who had like 10 earned runs in the final game of the year. 
the Mets pitcher? Well, well maybe I, not the Mets pitcher. The fancy La- pitcher Lance, you always talk about. Lance Painter for the Rockies. Okay. The, yeah, it's tell called me the about Painter that. effect. Yeah. What is that? That's where the last day of the season, like his ERA was really awesome until the last day of the season. And because he was in, in a meaningless game and he just gave up 10 runs, it went from you know a fine ERA. And then because of that one outing, it looked like a terrible ERA on the last day of the year. And that was Lance Painter and some people call it the, the Painter effect. So what if I told you that the reverse painter, so what is it like the, uh, <laughs> the uh, I don't know, the invisible spray? Um, <laughs> the Bassett for the year, a 360 ERA. Um, however, his first game of the year was nine earned runs. Um, uh-huh. And after that, well, what do you know? Uh, Chris Bassett had a 325 ERA instead of a 119 whip. It was a 114 whip for the year. Uh, that's that's a huge thing, right? Um, so I hope that helps people understand like what actually Bassett was like last season. And that was his first start for the Jays, and it was just they were like, "What did we just get?" <laughs> um, but yeah, I I dig Bassett. Something I've been talking about a lot with Eno is I uh, stuff models. This is a thing that he says: stuff models are negligent once you throw like six pitches, and Bassett throws seven. Eight, arguably, actually, because we now split up sweeper and slider inside of our pitchless player pages. So pretty much every pitch, sinker, cutter, curve, forcing, or sweeper, changeup, slider, splitter, he, he threw it last year. The cool thing is that it takes the sinker, which has a mistake rate that is like 191st percentile. Like he throws some of the biggest uh, mistakes inside the zone. It's probably because of the sinker. He throws it, and uh, it gets a 74% strike rate, 27% called strike rate. And it's ICR. Remember before I was talking about like, oh man, 38% or actually like 41% for Logan Webb, right? Really high ICR. 32%. He throws it about 40% of the time every game. It's incredible. He's able to sneak this sinker into the zone so often. And it's because he has such a variety of pitches. Guys just passively do that. They're not ready for it. It's awesome. And it defies a lot of models because of that. So... I'm always going to be in on Bassett. I just always see a guy that's going to have a uh, sub-4 ERA, who's going to have a sub-120 whip, who's going to have a strikeout rate that's above 20%, pitching close to 180 innings, if not more, for a team that is going to win games. And what do you know? He got 15 wins in 2022 and 16 last year, and that's still going to happen because he goes so deep into games and he's solid with ratios because of this ridiculous arsenal. So I'm a fan of Bassett. Like I think every single year I'll just gladly take him as my SB4. Um, it's really atypical to what I normally talk about. What gets me excited is that like the, that really high ceilings and stuff. But this is my point. I'd rather in so many leagues take Chris Bassett than Justin Steele, especially at their price. And like if I had between them, sure I'll take Justin Steele slightly. But like honestly. You might just be happier with Chris Bassett this year. Very interesting. Yeah, uh, totally, totally dig it. Uh, great points, Ruvain. I tend to agree. I like I like Chris Bassett, especially where he's going. He threw 200 innings for the first time in his career, even though he was known as a workhorse before then. So he's a little lucky with his BABIP. His home run rate was a little bit up, but he's going, we're in the ninth round, 10th round around that area right now. Um, and the pitchers around them, the people, the pitchers are being drafted around him. Justin Verlander, Hunter Green, Michael King, Jordan Montgomery, Chris Sale. 
is he like the safest guy of those of the group? Is he the guy that you you know what you're gonna get? I mean, Jordan Montgomery yeah. also, but you know what you're gonna get out of that guy. The other guy is Chris Sale. How many innings he's gonna pitch this year? Um, what are you gonna get out of Hunter Green? I mean, Justin Verlander. You talk about the, these his decrease in skills. I mean, he, he's just in that area in that range. He's like the safest guy. I mean, he's boring, but he's safe. And by the way, my projected numbers that even including the bargain has him at a four ERA. So he doesn't even have to beat a four ERA, a four ERA to to be valuable as a bargain. And if he gets anywhere near where he was, or the the painterless uh, one, you know uh, that we, <laughs> that you spoke about, he's a huge, huge bargain. He was a sixteen dollar player last year, you know, and you, you yeah. don't have to pay anywhere near that price to get him. And he's been pretty consistent. He's been pretty you know, much mid teens for his man for his career, like the the Brandeis Student Center. You guys know what that looks like. That's just it's copper. It's all green. It doesn't have any paint on it, so that's that's what I'm thinking of. Looks like you came up with a new acronym. There it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, Ruvain, time for your injury report. Uh, a lot of starting pitchers to talk about, so what say you? Let's start with the Dodgers. Walker Buehler was already announced that he's not going to be in the opening day rotation. Uh, manager Dave Roberts said he is uh, that he is in a quote-unquote slow program. He wasn't more expressive about that, so we don't know what that means, whether that means ex- and it's spring training, whether it means a rehab or something, we don't know when he's going to start. So when you draft him, keep that in mind that he's not going to, you may have to taper down his innings expectation. Clayton Kershaw came out today and said that he doesn't have a firm timeline for his return from shoulder surgery, but he's targeting a, quote, July-ish, August-ish return, whatever that means. And how many innings are you going to get out of him? He's he's definitely going to start, but how many innings are you going to get out of him when he comes back? Five innings, maybe six innings. So again, taper down your innings uh, totals uh, before the season starts and you'll get a better idea of how much he's actually worth. Another one, Dustin May. Three weeks ago, he began a throwing program. So he's coming back from a UCL tendon revision. Um, so he's going to be signed by at least until the second half of the season. We don't know how long that's going to be. In December, Nestor Cortez began a throwing program. Hopefully he will have he's we haven't heard anything else, which means he's probably gonna be coming to spring training without any physical limitations. And he's a guy to watch out for because you can probably get a good bargain. It's an injury update, so I can't not mention these two guys. Jacob deGrom, um, he will resume throw he said he said this past uh two weeks ago, a week this past weekend, that he plans to begin throwing again in the spring, which means maybe July, maybe August. I don't know what you're going to get out of him, but I don't think he's worth drafting because if you're in an NFBC-type league, you're going to not, you're not going to keep Jacob deGrom on your bench for half a season. Sometimes it's just not worth it. And another guy who, yeah, I, I know, Nick, you like him a little bit, um, but Lance McCullers, um, he like said he— ex- What? No, we're friendly. No. Friend, friendly. You know, oh, he's, he's nice. Yeah, sure, sure. He's a nice guy. <laughs> nice guy. Nice guy. I, 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 um, yeah, he, sorry, please. <laughs> he said he expects to return toward the end of the summer. Whatever that means. So he's also yeah. still recovering from a, from a from a forearm injury. He's a guy. If you if you really want to take a, a wire a waiver wire on him, that's fine. But probably do it mid season, not draft season. He is a nice guy. He's pretty cool. Yeah, that's what I said. Nice guy, but you know, n- nice guys sometimes finish last. I still can't believe the uh, the Texas Rangers still uh, still won the World Series without Degrom. Jeez. Well, you got to see him behind everyone smiling with the with a World Series T-shirt on, which rubbed all Mets fans the right way there, you know? Yippee-i-a. All right. Well, this was a absolutely filled episode with tons of information, amazing insight that you really can't get anywhere else. And 
want to thank you, Nick Pollock, for coming on the show. Why don't you tell us what's uh, going on with you? You got uh, some uh, Writer of the Year uh, once again nominated after you are, are the reigning champ, and uh, um, also for podcasts. And, uh, and you got a new podcast called The Craft. Why don't you tell everybody about that? Oh, yeah. That's, that's me, Nino Saris. Uh, I can't believe it, honestly. Um, it's just us rambling about pitchers for an hour. I, we're each going to bring one or two pitchers uh, to the other that we don't know who we're going to be talking about. And the whole point is for us to just to go on tangents about these guys and, and just ask questions to each other to kind of replicate what it's like of us hanging out in the hallways of First Pitch Arizona. Um, it is incredibly fun, and uh, we hope that you give it a listen. But, uh, yeah, I'm just super lucky to be able to do a podcast with Dino. All right. What else is going on other than that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, check out our Where site. We've got a lot of <clears throat> really good pro editions this year. Um, we are uh, going to be utilizing our PLV uh, projections, um, which are a 2.0 version. And um, we're really confident in these this year as we really adapted our PLV uh, uh, models into performance better than ever. We also are going to be doing a lot of cool stuff with our weekly projections in season to allow you to take advantage of it for this week, the rest of this week, as well as projecting the next week in advance. So for those that play in your weekly fab leagues, like it is the best uh, weekly projection system that I think you'll find. Uh, really good for <laughs> for everybody to get exactly what you want out of that one. Um, that's for Peel Pro users. We also have all those apps I talk about with uh, understanding IVB and uh, Vert, and all, well, those are the same things, and extension and just the VAA, and those are going to be behind the paywall uh, of PL Pro in about a week or two. So uh, check that out. And last but not least, we have PL Pro Lifetime going away uh, in a week. So if you guys were thinking about jumping in there, um, you can get PL Pro for life at a, obviously a lifetime discount. Uh, so go check that out. It's the best way to support what we do. Amazing. All right, Ruben, what about you? You can follow me on Twitter, X, whatever you want to call it, at MLB Injury Guru, where I tweet out injury updates. They're already slowly starting to come in as pitchers are starting to report to, to, to camp. You can also catch my in-season article on Rotoballer discussing these injuries and many more. All right, I'm Ariel Cohen. I'm over at Fangraphs, over at Rotoballer. Got projections up on multiple sites at Fangraphs, CBS Sportsline, Rotowire this year. That's new. And, um, yeah, you can... Uh, Listen to me every week on the Beat the Shift podcast. Of course, my Twitter handle, at ATCNY, tied for the shortest handle in uh, fantasy sports baseball. Yeah. All right. Well, that's a story. Uh, part one of the pitchers with Nick Pollock. Thank you so much once again for coming on the show. We'll have part two in about a week. You won't want to miss that one. And so, once again, thanks, Nick Pollock. From everyone else here at Beat the Shift, we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Beat the Shift podcast presented by Fangress. Follow us on Twitter at beat underscore shift underscore pod.